welcome to the True Neighbor Podcast. My name is Tom Breyer. We're going to jump right in today because I think this episode is one that everybody needs to hear um, because it is with someone who's very special and, every, and anyone who has met her knows that. Um, but that is Andrea Grove, the founder of Elementary Coffee Company in Harrisburg. Elementary is not only home to the best cup of coffee in central Pennsylvania, but it's also one of the most popular businesses in the mid-state. And in fact, just recently opened a brand new brick and mortar location on North Street in Harrisburg. Unfortunately, like many other small businesses today in the United States, the COVID-19 pandemic has posed an existential threat to elementary survival. In this episode, Andrea and I discuss her work ethic, her lifelong ability to adapt to challenges and overcome adversity, the moral dilemmas that she encounters as a small business owner, and her innovative strategy to use social media as a way to remain connected with her customers and with her employees. And so without further ado, I bring you our next true neighbor, Andrea Grove. All right, I'm here with Andrea Grove. Andrea, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Tom. So we met, uh, man, it feels like a decade ago in, in November. We, we had an awesome event at, at your new location in Harrisburg, the elementary coffee shop. And then we came back and did a, a voter uh, registration and information session. Um, all of that information is now moot <laughs> because they moved the election. Uh, but um, I'm really glad that we've uh, gotten to know each other since then. And, and when I thought about the people who are being impacted by what's going on, you were one of the first people that came to mind. So I appreciate you joining us. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I cannot believe that was November. That does seem a decade ago, but also just a couple days ago simultaneously. Yeah, it, you know, being able to kind of reflect on how radically my just state of mind has changed is, is just one of the most surreal parts of this whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, but so let's, uh, I, I do want to talk about how you've been directly impacted by this with your business, but um, let's go back a little bit uh, a few years ago. So you started the business in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did that inspiration come from? Was being an entrepreneur something that you always planned to do, but, uh, or, or was that kind of a spur of the moment inspiration? You know, what, what led you to starting your own business? You know, I think that's a it's a really fascinating question because I think there's uh, there's a lot of resources now. Entrepreneurship is a buzzword in a lot of ways, and I, I think it's encouraging um, to see how many resources there are encouraging people to to get to try their hand at a small business or something new or try learning something new. Um, I feel like I stumbled into it. Um, I don't know if I really heard the word entrepreneur uh, when I was starting uh, elementary. But I, looking back, um, you know, both my parents are small business owners. Um, my mom is a piano teacher. She teaches piano from our home. Um, so I grew up um, just hearing the piano being played all the time. Mm. Um, and my dad is a dairy farmer in Shippensburg. So, um, and he's third generation. So I come from a long line of people who have really had to work hard to keep their heads above water. And I think that was really the um, type of work that was instilled in me. And that was a that was something that was present from the beginning. So I think when the stars aligned and I suddenly realized that I wanted to give this a try as an elementary and, and selling coffee, 
it all seemed to click in a way that was very natural for me. And um, one of the things, I think one of the most necessary skills that an entrepreneur needs to have or needs to develop is the perseverance and the willingness to work hard and work hard for a very long time without mm. seeing much payoff. And um, I think that was already there in me because, you know, growing up on a farm, we would, my dad would say, uh, go out and pick rocks. And you would go out and we would for hours at a time just be throwing rocks into a <laughs> cart because you had to, you know, the, the ground was producing them and, you know, we had to clear these fields and we would chop thistles and we would, you know, milking happened twice a day, every day. So there was a lot of just hard work that, you know, I wasn't seeing a monetary payoff for that as a kid, you mm. know. Um, and I see my dad work hard now. He's um, in his later 60s and I, he's struggling to, you know, he's hit through what's happening now. But dairy farming is um, not doing well as a whole either. So and he's never really seen all of his money is tied up in his business in the same way that, you know, all of my money has been tied up in mine. So I think it's a lot of what what I knew though I didn't realize I was stepping into a very similar similar profession as my parents when I when I entered elementary. Well, it sounds like, I mean, the, the culture that you grew up in kind of prepared you for this. What, um, why coffee? Where did that inspiration come from? <laughs> um, well, that one, I think anyone who's gotten into coffee will, you know, understand. I think we all have this loving relationship with coffee, which is why it's one of the most wonderful things, professions to be in and to serve um, because it connects people because we all just love it. Yeah, and I, can, um, I subscribe yeah. to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to feature you drinking coffee uh, later next week, right? I can't wait. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think for me, when I fell into coffee, um, I started working at St. Thomas Coffee Roasters back in 2012. And prior to that, I had started doing all this research at home as to trying to get the best cup of coffee, trying to cold brew before that was cool. And I was just really into the science behind it, but the creativity in it as well. And just, you know, obviously the stimulus that's in it and it's delicious. So, you know, pull that all into the fact that we're, we live in a day and age where you're able to make a profession out of this. And um, I felt very lucky um, and yeah, I think when I was working at St. Thomas, um, I came in with the idea that I was going to learn how to roast coffee because I was just really fascinated with working with my hands in that way and kind of tied into, um, the farmer aspect, which I really committed to, I think, because my dad is a, is a dairy farmer. Mm. So, um, I really wanted to make, um, these connections with, with coffee farmers in the same way and be able to support them. And so when I came in and started roasting, um, that's when it just all kind of exploded for me. I realized that I wanted to pursue this in more of a full-time manner. It seems like the, the beauty of what you've been able to do is really create, and I saw this firsthand the first time I met you, uh, a real culture with your company. Was that something that kind of developed organically or, or did you go in with a specific mindset in terms of what exactly it was that you wanted to create? Mm -hmm. I think, um, well, I think a little bit of both. Uh, I really have been fascinated to watch the culture that has sprung out of elementary. And I can really say I only just kind of planted the seed and then it's been able to grow naturally. And I think that's really what I hope um, that people feel when they enter our space or they interact with us, um, that it is really natural. None of it is this forced artificial facade of, you know, I don't know, a hipster business, mm. um, that there is this real genuine aspect to it. Because I think 
you know, I had a lot of ideas as to what I wanted elementary to be. You know, I really started it with the fact that I thought specialty coffee um, was spiraling out of control, is getting too pretentious. And I really wanted, um, you know, coffee is everybody drinks coffee. So I wanted to bring specialty coffee to a place that everybody who's traditionally drank coffee can interact with it, learn something and, um, yeah, be able to continue drinking it in the same way that they always have, but maybe on a higher, like on a scale that more directly interacts with farmers and, um, it's maybe more delicious. Um, and so with that kind of in mind, just being like, okay, we're homegrown. I'm starting this up. I built most of the, um, that original stand that's at the market. Um, um, I, I built most of it or had friends build most of it. And that's where it kind of sprung out of. Um, but then I really wanted to, um, continue that and really build in a, um, a natural flow to things. So as we included more employees, as more people became involved, as the community started interacting with us, with us it is now developed into something that I think that feeling behind it um, is kind of outside of my control. And I think that's where it should be. I think, you know, it's like, I'll be able to, you know, I kind of work within this persona that is elementary. Well, if that makes sense. I probably got a little no, bit too no, abstract. It, I think it's fascinating <laughs> because, you know, you went from a, uh, you know, a stand at, at this Broad Street Market, like you said, to a few years later opening your own brick and mortar location. At what point did you begin to see that this was something bigger than what you would initially kind of uh, saw when you, when you first started that stand at Broad Street? Was this kind of a long-term plan to, to grow the business? I mean, obviously you want to be successful, but, um, you know, mm -hmm. in, in terms of, having your own central location, uh, how far along in this process did that become a, a real clear reality for you? Mm -hmm. Well, I really, when uh, we started, I really had, the business plan was set up that we would have a market stand um, where it's, you know, the one meeting place of the city. The market is hugely important to the Harrisburg culture, but culture in general, um, and connecting people that would otherwise maybe not interact much. So, um, I wanted that stand, but then I really wanted to step back and just roast coffee. And so I was like, okay, the stand will, that'll operate, you know, three days a week, and then I'll be able to roast coffee on the side. And I think as more and more people started getting involved, um, I realized that um, my employees, you know, and my, the crew that is so dedicated to elementary, they all had to work two or three other mm. jobs because the market's only open three days a week. Um, and that's what I was doing when I first started. I worked five jobs for the first year to try to make some income. And so we were all being taxed by this, this, um, the fact that it wasn't continuous. Um, but also we weren't able to, you know, host things like, like your event, Tom, like we weren't able to be able to kind of take coffee in our space to the next level because the market is wonderful, but it's not an event space. It's not something that can be controlled by individual, individual vendors. So, um, yeah, we really wanted to develop into a space that we could um, kind of control. So it was a lot of listening to the needs of, of the business and the community involved and, and thinking about how we can best um, kind of serve the people that drink our coffee and take that ability and that co what coffee, how coffee brings people together, how to bring people together in a space and teach them a little bit of something or offer them a little bit of something kind of around that. Um, beverage, bev, beverage culture and food cultures is hugely important in bringing people together. And um, yeah, I feel lucky to be part of that. So I think maybe about 
two years in, I started searching for a space, but it was really loose. And we've actually, you know, we were pursuing a lease downtown um, and got really close to partnering with another company. And then I stepped back out of that because it didn't feel right. And then we would pursue something else for a while. And I was really, really careful about going into the business in, in or into an independent space and it not being right and not being good and for the community. And I really, I still wonder, you know, I, I think if something were to happen or if, you know, what we're going through right now were to um, cut back our ability to be in, at an independent location, that would be because that's what's going on in society. And I would have to be okay with that. I think there's a lot of just being like, okay, this is terrifying and I'm going to put my best foot forward but my best foot forward might not be enough or it might not be at the right time and place. And I'm going to have to be okay with that option too. Yeah. And that kind of goes back um, to what you even said at the top about your upbringing. I mean, about navigating mm -hmm. hardship and overcoming adversity, you know, the, the mm -hmm. unique thing about what we're dealing with right now is that it's beyond our control entirely. I mean, obviously we can, you know, social mitigate and social distance and do our best to make sure that we're, preventing the spread of the disease, but in terms of the virus itself, you know, that was something that no one really foresaw coming. Um, but I, you, you raised an interesting mm -hmm. point, and this is something I wanted to ask you too. Uh, you know, you kind of sounds like toyed with different locations to, to move in-house. Um, why did you choose your ultimate location on North Street? Uh, for anyone who I think is unfamiliar with that part <laughs> of Harrisburg, it was rather dilapidated mm -hmm. to say the least. Um, but you opened your doors in October 2019 with the governor there. Is that right? Wasn't uh, he? He popped by a couple of weeks later. Okay. Yeah, well, but that's so yeah. you know. Yeah. So <laughs> it clearly um, made a uh, a splash in the community. Tell us why that location was the ultimate decision. Yeah. Well, besides the fact that I'm I'm mildly worried that like I I really enjoy too much um, a struggle and and working uphill. Um, yeah, that building was really in bad condition. And we're, we're continuing to see that. But I think it was really the perfect location for us. Um, I didn't want a huge space. I wanted something that we could be able to host and provide in the ways that we're used, you, we wanted to do and the ways that we're used to doing. Um, and then I really wanted um, enough kind of lead way and like a traffic flow to be able to um, bring people in our doors. I wanted to be in a new neighborhood, but still be in touch with the community that we had set up around us at the market. Mm -hmm. So there was a bunch of sort of check marks to meet and a lot of bullet points. And um, that was the first space that really hit all of them. I also didn't want to align ourselves um, politically with a developer in town. Um, so this is more independently owned. Um, and I wanted to kind of keep out of development politics within the city, which is kind of strong. Um, what, what, and do you, uh, so with, what do you mean by that? Elaborate mm -hmm. on that a little bit. I find that really interesting. Why did you go into Oh, yeah. So, well, we, well, interestingly, I guess, you know, the other coffee shop in town that's doing something very similar is Little Amps to us. And they are very well supported by WCI. And I, for conflict of interest purposes, I don't, we've never even really discussed it with them, but I don't think they would have ever, you know, kind of opened up their properties to us. And the city is kind of being taken over. I, I assume most cities are like this. I don't know. I, you know, I've never really explored other ones, um, but that are being kind of controlled by 
developers. Um, and the developers are pretty fierce. They're obviously making their investments and, and um, they're trying to raise property value, but get a payoff in the end. And I really didn't want to be part of that. I think there are obviously developers that are doing a really good job with things. There are some developers that are really just in it for, you know, a fat paycheck. There are developers that care or providing other resources. Um, but I guess all the times that we kind of discussed it with, with a developer, um, I didn't, I walked away not feeling good by the, with the situation and kind of wondering kind of what the payoff for a small business such as mine that wants to operate very independently if, you know, if we were going to struggle down the road because we aligned ourselves with somebody. So um, outside of looking for our own space to buy, which we did, I would have loved to invest in our own space that we could control and not have a landlord just because we want to be independent. And that's just a good um, investment um, in general, besides being able to do that, which is hard to do because if a developer has not picked up something in the city, that means it's in pretty bad repair. Mm. Um, uh, our option really came down to just this one at North Street. This is the first place that we came across that was, um, yeah, not not something that a developer was working on or going to be tackling down the road or already controlling. Um, and it was something that we could move along and help move along very quickly. It sounds like I hadn't known that uh, before, but it sounds like it was really the perfect synthesis with, with what your culture was already uh, kind of mm -hmm. based on the mar what you had at the market. I mean, you had an independent place where you had total control, and it sounds like you were able to keep that, which is a, a really cool thing. Um, so tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about, so you opened your doors in October 2019. What are the first few months like? Kind of take us, you know, until <laughs> March 2020. Oh, uh, so challenging. <laughs> Yeah, I had no idea. I do think that we've had um, some bad luck. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, we've seen a lot more challenges than a lot of people have in our position. I think it's also hard because we are self-funded and we are extremely um, uh, financially supported with just our own means and, and cups of coffee. So we don't have any investors. We don't have um, anyone to save us when you know money gets tight. Um, so coming into this project that we did go over budget on because we hired all independent workers that were within town and we paid everyone super well. And of course we had all these, you know, I had all this integrity and honesty within the project, but of course we went over budget. So we came, you know, kind of tanking into this, this space that's like not even finished, honestly, it's still, you know, it works for us, but it's not even where it's supposed to be when we opened. Um, and yeah, then very much immediately, you know, we roll into um, a very intense Christmas season, you know, we had um, some uh, an employee get very, very sick. And that was really difficult within the business in December. And then, you know, in January, there um, what was the big January thing. I, I, there was something in January. Uh, in February, we had the water main break, and we had to shut down mm. for a couple days. And that was outside of our control. And then, you know, of course, then we're hit, um, we're hit with this virus. And constantly kind of having to make decisions of ethics over profit. And I think this is a really important question that people need to ask themselves, like, why, why are you in business? What or why are you existing in the world? What do you want to get out of this? And then time and time and again, you know, when these questions are brought up, and now they're being discussed um, as, ele um, 
elementary as a whole. So the whole team will discuss these bigger, bigger questions, but it always comes down to, you know, we are all living paycheck to paycheck, the business included, but despite that, we really, really believe in the ethics of what we're doing. And so we're always going to choose what we believe to be the ethical choice. And so as we face these questions is how to, how to walk through these different challenges, um, carefully and honestly with the people that they involve. And so we've always, we keep having to make, I think the tough choice. And unfortunately the one that's, that's financially really hard, but so that's been our, I kind of, our struggle, I guess, in the four, four, almost five months that we've been open. What do you see? So the situation that we're in right now, I think that's a fascinating question. I see, see it myself in, in running for office. Um, where do you see that ethical boundary come up against, you know, your own livelihood as a business? What, what decisions have you had to make and what kind of, you know, thought processes have you um, undertaken to, to figure out the right thing to do? Where, where does that really, uh, where does the rubber meet the road when ethics um, come up against, mm -hmm. you know, business survival? Yeah, I, I really believe that um, it's, it's an ever-changing mind, right? I think it's every new decision, it's going to be someplace different. I wish you know, there could be a manual written about this in which you could just, you know, reference reference uh, appendix you know, three and just be like, oh, you make this decision to, to end up here. But we know that's not the case. And um, with this particular challenge that we're facing, um, it's always come down to how can we protect our community? And that involves, first and foremost, my, you know, amazing crew and team that's within elementary. Um, these people that are, you know, helping day to day, um, and how can we make sure that they end up um, not contracting this disease, not spreading it, and also um, financially be able to make it through this time and get through it in um, you know kind of a psychological positive way um, at the end. So that was that was the first kind of major question: is how can we protect ourselves? Because if we can't protect ourselves. Um, and our own health, then we can't protect anybody else either. And then, you know, yeah, very much next in line was how, how can we make sure then to connect, um, protect our community. And those two were tied together, which led us to the, the option to shut down both of our locations um, far prior to like anybody else doing it. We just did not feel good about um, maybe being part of the spread um, in, of this virus in any sort of way. And if we would ever know to be part of the cause of that. And I think just by an existence and being open, you are, you know, kind of helping spread it, even just encouraging people to still come out and interact um, is dangerous right now. And so making the decision to be like, all right, we're not, there was no resources in place yet. There was nothing um, saying like, hey, small businesses are going to be helped out or individuals are going to be helped out by the federal government. There was nothing in place. We were just like, we don't feel good about being open. So we're going to shut down. My crew was able to file for unemployment um, far quicker. So hopefully they're at the head of the line. You know, we just, we're trying to kind of get in there and provide for ourselves. Um, and yeah, that's led us to daily check-ins. Uh, we're providing resources in a very long group chat to one another. Um, and um, I'm providing, we developed these, yeah, these fun, these fun um, uh, Instagram live homebrewing uh sort of sessions every day that's I think keeping everyone positive and engaged with one another and some some stuff to help us get through this uh, together. And then, you know, the other discussion we had was uh, as far as online sales and some stuff that we are still trying to keep going. Um, 
how a percentage of this going back to the employees um, and being divided not by work hours, not by volunteer hours um, for anyone who's still helping out in that degree, but just equally among all of us because we all need it together at this time. It's an amazing story because, you know, um, we still now have businesses who are refusing to close their doors and, you know, we're, we're full throttle now in, in the midst of the pandemic and you closed your doors early. And it sounds like, you know, I, I read just today that um, the unemployment numbers, uh, there have been 540,000 unemployment claims in Pennsylvania since Governor Wolf's order on March 16th for businesses to close their doors. Uh, that is um, the, the largest monthly total in Pennsylvania history was in January of 2010. There were 168,000 unemployment claims. And now we're at 540 in about two weeks. Um, and so you did your staff, it sounds like a really big favor by allowing them to get, you know, at least some recourse early uh, and some peace of mind to know that they could have some assistance. Um, where do you see, I mean, obviously, if anybody had a crystal ball, they uh, would, <laughs> would be in the White House. But um, <laughs> where do you see in terms of this impacting your business? Is there a kind of timeline in place in terms of how long you can continue to operate with the the new strategy that you've adopted? Is this kind of indefinite? Like how, how do you view the timing of all of this in terms of its impact on your business? Yeah, I think if we're able to continue to operate uh, with our wholesale side, we're doing yeah, free delivery, we're doing these online sales and, and kind of developing other ways to get some products out there to people, um, mostly local in Harrisburg, but also shipping too. If we're able to operate um, that, which is extremely clean, sanitary, does not put anyone at risk um, in any sort of way, then we, I think, will be able to, to keep our heads above water. Um, we'll be able to pay what we need to pay and hopefully, you know, and be able to provide some money among ourselves. That also, um, but the timeline, I think, for my crew, unfortunately, is also, you know, when can they get that unemployment mm. check? You know, when can they get some money flowing? If that is, um, even going to be you know, a month from now, I think I could, we could see a lot of us struggling in between just because there's such dead space right now. But I also think that's a realistic possibility. Um, so I'm looking at trying to almost get through the next couple of weeks until hopefully my crew can get that paycheck and then hopefully some of that um, can be released a little bit. And thankfully coffee is still a consumable um, in the way that people do go through it. So people are gonna order it. I think they're gonna order it again. Um, but you know, if the economy is is thrown into, um, I mean, we're seeing a recession, if it's a depression of some sort, coffee is still something that people can do without. I think a lot of people think they can't do without it, but I think, you know, these are trying times. And I think a lot of people will see that, okay, I do need to, you know, focus on just primarily getting food and nutrients to my family. So we could definitely see, you know, if this continues to go on, um, and as we know, the U.S. did not respond very positively or proactively to um, this virus as it sprung up. And so, you know, this we have, unfortunately, we're looking at a longer haul to get out of this. Um, I think the time frame, we're just gonna have to be flexible. And, and I think a lot of people, a lot of small businesses are developing you know, creative ways to stay positive and stay in it. And and stay kind of in front of what's happening. And I think we'll just have to either be more creative or, um, yeah, figure out other ways to maybe make some cash flow or, or make some changes. Yeah, the recent bill that came out of uh, the Congress 
actually like 1.30 this morning, um, provides a $1,200 stipend to all American taxpayers earning less than $75,000 a year. Um, there's like a, a it tapers <laughs> off up to, I think, uh, $99,000 per year. But um, as I read the bill, that's a one-time check. Uh, how do you see that benefiting, if at all, your employees? Do you think it's enough? Do you think that this, if this continues, that they'll, um, you know, if they're not working, that they'll have enough to get by? How, how do you view the, mm -hmm. that initial response in terms of a $1,200 um, stipend to American adults? For better or for worse, um, you know, we're all living, we, I guess, as a, as a crew are all extremely budgeted because we've never made enough. And I think we're still trying to dig ourselves out of, um, you know, the business and individuals out of, out of everything that we report into elementary at this point. So um, I think that money will go a long way. Is it enough? And I think everyone's kind of looking at that and just being like, that's it. You know that's enough for for some solid groceries. Mm -hmm. that's, that's enough uh, enough for maybe half of a rent check, or maybe for some people um, a whole rent check. Um, but it's not enough to continue to pay for how long this can mm -hmm. continue to go on. If then you know unemployment um, is set up and it's it's enough money for the crew and the team, um, that could be helpful. And then you know I think we could hold out for longer. But I just think we're going to come out of this with, um, let's say we, you know, defer, are able to defer our rents, you know, we're able to kind of, you know, say, hey, um, to our insurance agents, I can't pay that this month or, or whatever. And I, then it'll maybe get us through the here and now, but I'm actually looking at, you know, the long-term effects of a lot of these things, like taking personal loans, even the small business mm -hmm. loans at 0%. I don't want to have to tap into that because we're going to need cash flow when we come out of this um, stronger than ever. Um, and I don't want, you know, even the gift card, like buy your gift cards from your local business. Like, again, we're going to need cash flow when we enter, um, kind of phase two of this, which is rebuilding, you know, rebuilding our society post coronavirus. Um, so I really think, you know, that money is nice. And if we can get here fairly quickly, it could help in the immediate future. But I worry about even how this is going to be paid and, um, you know, small businesses and people, um, you know, we pay a lot into taxes. Mm -hmm. We're not like corporations where we can shuffle money around and be able to kind of switch things up and figure out exactly how to, to get you around. You're not a, like you know, Amazon where you don't pay tax. any income tax? Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Precisely. So, you know, where in the end is this money? This money is going to come from its people and from us someday. So I think, you know, this money is helpful and I understand what they're trying to do but I think they're trying to provide almost like a false hope. Um, or I, I also think they're, they're kind of saying, hey, we're doing stuff for you. So, uh, and, and almost look good. Mm -hmm. But I don't think this is a long-term assistance. I even, I even read, I agree. I, I saw Governor Cuomo in New York today said that the money allocated to, for hospital beds and uh, ventilators and things that they need in New York is not nearly a, even half of what they requested. <sighs> Uh, and so this is, um, I don't think this is a, a one-term, at least it can't be if we want to have an ability to fight this, a one-term stimulus. I think it has to be going forward, just kind of a, mm -hmm. um, a rolling stimulus, especially for, like you said, small businesses who are really, uh, strapped already as it is. They pay exorbitant taxes and have their own employees that they know personally. Uh, and so this mm -hmm. sounds like to you, especially you know, your employees are part of a, a family and a culture and having that relationship makes, um, 
you know, distancing yourself from them, I would think even harder. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We have been able to stay in touch. It is amazing that we're able to, you know, how, I mean, even have this phone or this podcast, you know, recorded, mm. not seeing one another. Um, it's incredible technology that we have and we're all getting better at using it and implementing it. And I'm learning so much so quickly, but, um, even still it, you know, everyone can feel the effects of, yeah, not being able to interact, not being able to give each other hugs, not being able to just say, Hey, I don't have money for you right now, but I can, you know, I sincerely feel you and just you know, feel that in a physical sense and be able to just, you know, kind of take each other's hands. And I think that's what our society is feeling is those gaps are starting to, to kind of eat away on, on, on that strength. And uh, we have to understand that those, those connections are still there, even if, they are in a virtual yeah. sense, even if we can't see them or actually feel them. Um, what? We are still a very strong community. Absolutely. And the one thing that people can do to, uh, to support our community and help people like you is, of course, while you're still open, is to purchase mm -hmm. coffee. <laughs> I can say firsthand <laughs> that it's my favorite coffee out there. And, and you said you're still doing delivery. Is that right? Yeah, so we, um, it's actually super fun. We've been really getting into it, but we will personally, one of our baristas, one of the uh, you know, kind of volunteers, as all my employees are, are doing right now, um, just working on a volunteer basis. Um, well, yeah, we'll deliver it to your door if you're in the Harrisburg vicinity. And um, that's actually really fun. And it gives us the ability to connect with a lot of our clientele, even if we're standing six feet back from the door and ask each other how we're doing. Um, so that's extremely nice. So yeah, we'll deliver it next day for free. Um, or we have shipping options. Um, and where can well folks go to, that to make kind the of order? Outside that area. So yeah, www.elementarycoffee.co, not .com, because that one was taken. <laughs> Elementarycoffee.co. Uh, and and yeah. so you mentioned you're starting a, um, I was watching yesterday, uh, your 11 a.m. <laughs> Instagram Live. Uh, that should be its own TV show, honestly. But um, <laughs> where can people follow you on social media? Super I think fun. The one cool, really cool thing you've been able to do is create, uh, you know, more than just a company. It's a, it's a real brand and um, something that I think would be uplifting to people to uh, to be in touch with. Where can folks go to follow everything mm -hmm. that you're doing? Yeah, so we're most active on Instagram. Um, I really wish I was as in touch with all the other social media platforms. So we do link into Facebook, and I do try to log on daily to try to interact there as well. Um, but Instagram, we're doing Instagram live sessions. Yes, <laughs> um, they are every day at 11 a.m. and it features it is featured up to this point. Um, all of our different um, crew members and employees brewing coffee at home. And it's really low key. It's really just giving people um, maybe just some inspiration or um, teaching them a little bit of something as to how they can um, brew coffee at home a little bit better. Um, it's something that we've wanted to do for a while anyway. I never anticipated being an Instagram uh, live thing, but it's actually turned out to be really well that it's not curated. It's just, you know, a lot of us in our homes um, brewing coffee, drinking coffee, and then normally you take the opportunity to talk a little bit about something else. And so as we um, have started branching out and we have a bunch of awesome guest hosts coming up, including Tom next Thursday, <laughs> nice. but also, you know, Joe Lima, who runs Paisa Coffee. So she's one of our direct, um, uh, direct trade uh, farmers um, and her family is based in Colombia. And so she's going to discuss how that's, you know, the whole event is, um, how this is affecting her and, and the supply chain and the families down in Colombia as well. Um, and there's someone that's going to be brewing pu'er tea on Monday. So we have a lot of, I think, fun um, other home brewing methods um, coming up, people, interactions, humans, and discussions. 
So I can't wait to see even where this is going to continue to go. And I really hope this is something that we could continue maybe even like once a week into the future. I think Nicole, not that it's hard. There are a lot of positives, I think, that have arisen out of the restrictions of what the coronavirus is, is doing in our society. And I hate to to maybe put those positives um, up on a pedestal because it's coming at the cost of so much uh, negative as well. But there are things that are growing out of this that I think a lot of people are realizing the resources that are online. They're also realizing their own abilities and strengths and their abilities to adapt during this time. And I think there are a bunch of, you know, now new um, you know, podcasts popping up, a lot of um, Instagram live, a lot of interactions and, and resources that are being developed that we never thought possible. So I'm excited that hopefully it's Instagram live and maybe we develop it. And someone suggested yesterday a YouTube channel. So maybe we like start you know, branching into that and that's something that we can offer into the future. I think it's, um, it's a perfect way to, to end this because um, it sounds like for your entire career, you've been able to adapt and uh, being able to adapt and overcome adversity regardless of your profession is really uh, the, the kind of law of the world is, is being able to, to navigate difficult circumstances like this and putting on, mm-hmm. you know, going through social media, keeping connections with your customers and your employees, I think is a wonderful thing. And so, um, Andrea, I really appreciate you joining us and sharing your story with us. And I'm excited for my debut next week on, on Instagram Live. Love you too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks for the work you're Thank doing. You.